Today's reading is from Nehemiah, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 2, and then we're going to skip forward to um, verse 14 to 19, and then chapter 8, from uh, verse 1 to 18. So Nehemiah, chapter 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gate. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehoahan had married the daughter of Meshullam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. And then chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns... All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the law had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women of all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Matatiah, Shemam, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and his left was Padiah, Mishael, Mikajiah, Hashem, Hashbadadan, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jesh Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, uh, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Han Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, 
And the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they were listening to the word of, words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send them to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered round Ezra and teacher of the law to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that is, the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim the word and spread it throughout the towns in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out, and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and by the, by the way by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from the exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is God's word. If we've not met, my name's Matt uh, Fuller, and I'm um, the vicar here. It'd be lovely to meet you afterwards. And um, if you hadn't realised, that is an electric reading, because we're told uh, in chapter seven, excuse me, chapter eight, verse seventeen, that they had the most fun, or they had joy like they'd not had for a thousand years. So, there it is. It's a good reading, all right? Let me pray, and then uh, we'll look at it together. Our great God of Father, thank you that you speak through these ancient texts. Thank you that uh, they're interesting, of course, but they're living and breathing. And here is truth that we need to hear, and we need you to speak it to us. Speak, Lord, we pray, and give us hearts that can listen. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One article I read in the paper this week was, What Makes People Mentally Strong? I guess some some sort of interest in it. It was by Amy Morin, for what it's worth, psychiatrist, best-selling author, I mean, sort of pseudoscience. But but, um, it was fun. I mean, lots of things made sense in it to me, I guess. What makes people mentally strong? Five key indicators or factors, she would say. Uh, Number one, your genetics. Um, because your mental strength is a bit like your physiology. Some are born six foot three and some are born five foot two. There ain't nothing you can do about that. And some are born with a tendency towards depression or anxiety or autism, and there ain't nothing you can do about that. Uh, that's just how you're born. Okay, so there's, part of it is just genetics uh, with these things. Life experiences, number two, especially in childhood, if you're told 
Uh, growing up, you are the stupid child in the family. That has an impact upon you. Uh, if you're told that you're the naughty child in the family, that has an impact upon you. Um, it was the other. Genetics, life experiences, personality. Some people just find relationships easier. And so it's just they build mental muscle, whatever that is, faster. Uh, environment, I guess we all get this one. If you're surrounded by draining people, chaos, discouragements, challenges, frustrations, that just is absorbing your mental energy and that just you're exhausted and you have less resilience if you're surrounded by chaos and discouragements. We know that. I guess we all know that. I did about you, my... Well, I think, what did you say? My week will be a steady drip of minor morale sappers. I mean, nothing I should really complain about, but, you know, the sort of salami slicing of, you know, I'm cheerful, oh, no, I'm not, of a vomiting dog and an exploding oven and people angry and whatever it may be, uh, all these little things that... Uh, that to, to get a, Environment, and then effort. You can make a difference by learning coping skills. But those are five. Lots which made sense. What gives you emotional or related, not the same, but spiritual strength? Chapter 8 and verse 10. You've got to want this, haven't you? Chapter 8, verse 10. The, uh, the, the Levites tell the people, do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? The joy of the Lord is your strength or refuge or place of stability, firmness. That sounds good. That is a declaration which is true regardless of circumstances if we avail ourselves of it. It's always true. Don't you want to know more of that? I long to know more of that. But if you're joining us today, uh, what are we? This is a strange reading. We're in the book of Nehemiah and have been um, for most of the term. Uh, Nehemiah, all about rebuilding, really rebuilding the people of God. Chapters one to seven, primarily rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. This trashed city. They've been allowed to come back after exile and rebuild the walls. Chapters eight to ten, the focus really is upon rebuilding the people spiritually. But it's been hard work in um, rebuilding these walls. So chapter four, there was external attacks. Sambalat and Tobiah, these are the regional leaders that hate the fact that Jerusalem is being built. External attacks in chapter four. Chapter five, we saw last time, internal division. Chapter six, we, we jumped over a little bit there, but Nehemiah faces assassination attempts, literal and reputational. But you get to the end of chapter six and verse 15, and the walls are done. Chapter 6, verse 15, 52 days, and they're finished. Amazing. I'd be pretty thrilled if we could do a building project here in 52 days. Um, that's amazing. All the people have been involved. Yes, it's been very costly. Yes, they've gone without food because you know, they couldn't run their fields, uh, plow their fields, etc. But amazing. I mean, here is triumph. And yet, Nehemiah, as he records this, will say, yeah, it's fantastic. We did it. And verse 16, all the enemies around us, they were gutted. Verse 16, they lost their self-confidence. They realized these pathetic people have done this. They must have an extraordinary God. And alongside the triumph, there's the frustration. 
Oh, the frustration. The, the opposition still keeps on coming. Verse 17. Oh, I discovered lots of people living in Jerusalem. They were married and had friendships with my enemies. And they're passing letters back and forth. There's a fifth column and they're undermining me all the time. And how, how galling is this, verse 19? Some of the most influential people in the city keep saying, telling to Nehemiah, hey, Tobiah, he's great. Have you seen what he's done recently? Uh, or look, look how much his stock is worth. Uh, look at this great triumph he's done. And this is the guy who's constantly trying to destroy me. And my peers are telling me how wonderful he is. Ugh. So that's Nehemiah at this moment in time. Triumph. And yet there's always frustration. And that is recorded for us, because that's building the kingdom of God, which is what the book of Nehemiah is about. There'll be triumphs, there'll be things worth celebrating, and frustrations, and people complaining, and people undermining, and those things, it's always how it is. It's always like that, says Nehemiah. But what the people needed to know was, chapter 8, that the word of the Lord will bring them the joy of the Lord. Building the walls is important. But in the end, building the people, that's what we need to do. So we're going to work through chapter 8, which is what we're looking at, where the word of the Lord is understood, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and obedience and further joy will follow. It's very straightforward, doing it a little harder, but let's work through. Where the word of the Lord is understood, chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. So when the seventh month came, so this is five days, right, after the walls have been finished and they've celebrated the walls being finished. Five days after that, they have a two-day Bible festival. And a few things worth noting. Uh, the, the, one of the stresses, all the people are involved. Chapter 8, verse 1. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. That's literally a water gate, not a notorious hotel. Um, all the people... Nine times, all the people, all the people, all the people are stressed. Everyone is there. God is at work and he's brought all the people uh, together. And Nehemiah steps aside. Ezra, the Bible teacher, pops up. And the people say to Ezra, the, the, the teacher of the law, bring out the book of the law of Moses. The people all gather and say, what we want, Ezra, bring out the book of the law of Moses. We don't want novelty. We don't want anything new. We've rebuilt the walls and we know what we need is what God spoke to Moses. Those first five books of the Bible. Unclear which he's talking about here. But bring that out. That's what we want. Nothing new. Just what God has spoken. Tell us how that applies today. That's what we need. But some disagree. I was reading some stats this week, uh, whether you understand these things. The, the Church of England is different sort of from the Church of Wales and the Church of Scotland. Uh, those two have gone faster in uh, rejecting the Bible and accommodating themselves to liberal or cultural trends. Um, so I was reading that the Church of Scotland in the last 40 years has gone from 1.3 million attending weekly to just under 300,000 as they've chased after the culture. We must make ourselves more relevant, more relevant, more relevant. We must fit in with what the culture is saying. That's a pretty dramatic decline. 
And the church in Wales, if it carries on its current trajectory, will just shut within 12 to 15 years. There will be no one left going as they've chased after the culture. We must fit in. We must fit in. By contrast, the people here say to Ezra, we don't want anything new. We want the law of Moses. Just tell us what God has already spoken. That's what we need. So it's all the people are there, and they meet God in his word. I think that's the obvious stress here. So uh, verse 4, uh, so, excuse me, verse 3, uh, Ezra stands up and he reads aloud from, um, from the scriptures, from the law of Moses, from 6 a.m. to midday, so six hours. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a reading with all the names involved. And um, he reads aloud from it, and all the people, excuse me, he read aloud from it in daybreak until dawn. He faced the square in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. I guess children who were old enough uh, were, were all there as well. And all the people listened attentively. And there's a reverence there. So they build Ezra this vast platform, bigger than half the flats in London, with uh, 13 of the officials around him. And verse 5, he opens the book. And uh, verse 6, he praised the Lord, and all the people replied, Amen, Amen, and they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, the last time you get anything comparable to this, really, I think, in the Scriptures, this all the people gathering together in Israel, is 1 Kings 8, when the temple is completed. You get the whole people gathered together. There, it's this sort of extraordinary display of natural and supernatural glory and wonder and majesty. It's a sort of sun and lumiere show in many ways. Here, they don't go to the temple, even though there is a temple in Jerusalem. They go to this gate and they meet God in the scriptures. There's been an obvious shift in Israel's history, a shift in the sort of progressive revelation of the Bible here. We're not meeting God in the temple anymore. We're meeting him in the scriptures here. That's where they're going to meet him. I mean, some will know. It's a simple question children ask occasionally. Mummy, daddy, where is God? And you think, oh, golly. Um, he's everywhere. And we hear him in the Bible. What's going on here in Nehemiah 8, it's still the case. So all the people are there, they meet God in his word. And the great concern, third little thing here, is that they understand. So verse 2, 3, 7, 8, 9, 12, the people understand. So Ezra reads out loud, or preaches presumably, and then you get um, this little gang from verse 7, these Levites, it's a different gang to the 13 sort of officials or stood next to him, you've got these sort of small group leaders running the Bible studies, uh, the Levites from verse 7. Their job then is, well, Ezra sort of declares the truth and preaches the truth, and their job, chapter 8, verse 8, these small group leaders, they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. They make it clear. It literally means to make distinct or, or chop up and separate out into parts. In other words, the word is proclaimed by Ezra, and then these small group leaders go around and say, do you see, um, it means this and not that. You know, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he means this, and he means that those other things are not. 
Uh, it means if you're a six-year-old guy, it kind of applies to you like this. If you're a 20-year-old woman, it applies to you like this. If you're a 16-year-old, it looks a bit like this. We're just, like, uh, do you understand what it means for you? That's what they're doing. Because it's not enough to know how the book of Nehemiah fits together or how the main themes of the book of Nehemiah, you need to know what it means for you today. The one occasion I was formally told off at theological college, summoned before the principal, this is like years ago, um, uh, it was, it was, we were in chapel, and uh, one of the students had given a sermon. It was 2 Kings 25, I remember it quite vividly. He gave a sermon, and um, then at the end of it, he sort of just read it and made some one comments. And then at the end, he said, now, what does that mean for you? I leave it to you to decide and work out. And I just let out a slightly unconscious but audible, but obviously quite loud. I'm not quite a person. Uh, no. And uh, got told off that that was rude, and it was rude, and inappropriate, and it was inappropriate. But uh, at the same time, what? No, no, no. The Bible says itself, unless it's understood, unless people understand what does that mean for me, then it's not what you're doing. You've missed the point here. Now, here is reformation in the life of Israel. Here is the people being united together to build the kingdom of God. And it happens when they gather around the word of God. And without the word of God, you just don't get that. It must be understood for the kingdom to be built. Now you can tell me what you think afterwards, but this church has many flaws. Don't tell me those. Uh, but one thing we have managed to mostly get right over the years is that the word of God is central. And we will work through different books of the Bible and try and work out what God is saying and what it means for us now, today. Because you cannot have a healthy people of God unless the Word of God is central. They knew that. Just, Ezra, just give us the Scriptures and now help us understand what they mean for us today. But the word of the Lord is understood. Uh, second element, half though, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 9 to 12. Now it's obvious that what happens is when they hear the Bible taught, they're upset because they realize they haven't done it. So three times we're told they grieve. Verse 9, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the Lord, and the Levites who are instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep is the first time. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then the Levites calmed all the people and said, be still, this is a holy day. Do not grieve. So the people, they hear God's word. They go, we haven't been doing it. And they're genuinely contrite and confess and re repentant. They're upset by their sin. And yet they're told here, not today. Don't be upset today. Because we're reading this on the first day of the seventh month. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. And we've just read in Deuteronomy 16, presuming they've read all that, uh, we should be celebrating. 
essentially the, the, the religious guys, the, the, the teachers say to the people, yeah, look, tears are appropriate where there's sin. That's right. But the fear of the Lord without rejoicing him in him, the fear of the Lord without the joy of the Lord, that's not right. You, you do need both together. Verse 10, do not grieve your sin, for the joy of the Lord is your strength or stronghold or refuge. You're not blown around when you have joy in him. Let me try and put it this way. Uh, a little while ago, um, I, well, a year ago, sorry, ago, but I was uh, walking for 24 hours with five other blokes and uh, just one thing overnight. And uh, the Saturday morning, it just rained. Like real rain, um, like this is an English rain. This is this is who's imported this? Uh, I mean, really serious. It's like Aussie rain, you know, really hard when it comes. Um, just driving rain, and so you're at that point where, you, no matter how good your kit was, and you know, one or two there, they they love their outdoors, and they've got pretty pucker kit. Uh, but even then, the, the Gore-Tex just isn't enough, and water's, you know, water's sneaked in the seams, and it's just, you're miserable. And, and where's the map? Well, there it is in the sheet, but it's just, just can't, even, can't even read, you know. They haven't got windscreen wipers fast enough of a hand to even read. No one really knew where we were. Your hoods are up. You're sort of trudging along. You can't speak to one another because the, 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 it's just too loud, the rain. And you're thinking, is this fun? Is this fun? <laughs> Are we enjoying ourselves? I'm, I'm not sure. And then, uh, then some sort of, it was a comedic moment, sort of b -b 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 bumping into one another. And look, there's a farm, farm. Let's just go and see if there's a barn which is open. And uh, we might just, just, until the worst of this has gone by, uh, we, we moped into, the, there was a little barn open. Actually, just a very small barn. But actually, in the, it was a shop. So there was Mr. Farmer. Uh, that wasn't his name. Um, but he was selling frozen meat from one half of this barn. And clearly there's a local thing, and on Saturday morning between 10 and 12, he sold frozen meat to, uh, to, to the people. And we said, we're not going to buy frozen meat, but can we just come in, just take a bit of refuge? Oh, lads, in you come, in you come, in you come. You look a bit wet. <laughs> Do you want a cup of tea? Oh, yeah, yes, please. Actually, my... My wife's just making some sausage rolls. Would you like a sausage roll from straight from the oven? Yes. Uh, a Mrs. Farmer then drove from the farmhouse and brought us out a tray of hot sausage rolls. I mean, to say it was above and beyond what we were hoping for, it was, I mean, this is the best cup of tea and sausage roll ever, uh, courtesy of Mr. Farmer. And we found enormous pleasure, dare I say, joy in the refuge that he provided, fundamentally a refuge from the storm, but also then in his further generosity and kindness. There was just great joy in that. And, um, you know, the storm sort of eased a bit and off we went, and <laughs> uh, it was a great time, and we just remember it as a great time. Um, now, the joy of the Lord is your refuge, it's probably a better um, way of translating it than strength, I think. Refuge, stronghold. Don't grieve your sin because you know that in the Lord Jesus Christ there is a place of refuge, one who has taken it for you. 
Go there. Find joy in that. Oh, when you go there, there'll be abundant kindness. There'll be generosity beyond anything you're expecting, really. But he is your refuge, strength. Find joy in God's kindness provision supremely in the shelter from the storm of his anger at our selfish sin, wrath towards us. Rejoice in God's goodness. Ah, tomorrow, the people are told here, or later, confess and grieve your sin. But you confess and grieve your sin within the context of knowing that God is good and in him there is a refuge. Just at a human level, we get that, don't we? It's much easier to uh, confess your mistakes, your errors to someone. If you know, they'll accept you. I have one friendship of 30 years, and he could just say to me, go on, then confess your sins, and I will. I just don't need to hold anything back because there's a friendship there, and I know he'll still love me, even when I tell him how stupid I've been. He may roll his eyes, but I don't lose his love. The same with the Lord. Don't grieve your sin without knowing that the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a refuge, there's a place of safety in him. What do we do with that? Uh, What do we do with it personally? It's a lovely sentence, isn't it? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Mm, mm. Uh, How do we avail ourselves of that? Because there are plenty of times where I do not find joy in the Lord, where I live dutifully, serve functionally, do stuff because it's the right thing to do and because I should. There are times when I confess sin and get utterly demoralized by my failures. There are times when the complaining of people, of things going wrong, just wears me down. I want to crawl back into my duvet. Um, I need to remember the joy of the Lord is my fortress, stronghold, stability, strength. You read the Bible, you realize that that being grounded in his, being grounded in the, the love and the grace of God does bring a joy which provides enormous stability. It may not be typical or average for us Christians, but it's meant to be normal for us. But I leak joy. I don't know if I leak worse than most people, but it certainly seeps away. And so each and every morning, you have to say, I will find joy in the Lord. Now, I'll be honest, some days I do do that, and it doesn't survive the first encounter of the day with the first person I meet. But I think over time it gets a bit better. You have to find joy personally. But collectively, is more of the emphasis, I guess, here. They do this together. Nehemiah, uh, verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Don't grieve. Oh, do it together. Share resources with those which, who don't have enough. We thought more about this last week. But they do. And so verse 12, All the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and celebrate with great joy. They do all this together because now they understand the words that have been known to them. They celebrate with joy because now they understand the word of God. You and I need one another to spur one another on. Not a naff, 
cheer up, but an honest grieving and rejoicing, but also an encouragement to one another that we find strength in the Lord. They do this together. Sometimes you just can't do it on your own. You need the resources of others. So in a broad brush, I think we get Nehemiah 8 wrong if the word of God is peripheral rather than central. And we get it wrong if the teaching of the scriptures just leaves us glum. Both of those are disasters in Nehemiah chapter 8. So I guess if you want to be miserable, keep your Bible closed, ignore who God is and be selfish. Okay, that's, that's just if you want to be miserable, write those things down. Um, but Nehemiah 8 would say, if you want the joy of the Lord to be strength, look to him, encourage one another, share your resources, share your lives. That is the way to know him as your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When the word of the Lord is understood, the joy of the Lord is your strength, lastly, briefly, obedience and joy further follows. So verse 13, day two, day two of the conference. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around there to the teacher of the law to give attention to the words of the law still. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were meant to be living in the temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. Okay. They read the Bible again. Okay, it's the seventh month. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Don't need to know the details, but just once a year, the whole nation was meant to move out of their houses and construct these sort of tents in the garden and live in them overnight for a few days as a reminder that they'd been slaves in Egypt and God had miraculously brought them out through the wilderness. They were meant to do that just as a reminder. Well, they do do this. Verse 17, the whole company that returned, they did it. They built these temporary shelters. They lived in them. Here is an extraordinary little verse. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. Wow, for, it's like, depends how you date it, seven, eight hundred years, this is the most joyful day they'd ever known as a nation. What would that be in the UK? Winning the World Cup? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Olympics, that day, the Super Saturday? I don't know. Um, oh, V-Day? Well, I don't know. Um, but one of those things. But we're told here, this was the most joy they'd had for centuries because they'd put a tent up in their garden and moved into it because they had together gathered. They'd understood the word of the Lord for them. They'd obeyed him. And they knew that in doing that together, collectively, there was enormous joy. I've always struck when you read um, uh, Wartime Generation, Blitz, London, and um, obviously dying off now. But uh, uh, the stats and all the research would say that that generation that lived through the Blitz, they still look back and say, that was the best time of our lives. And you think, that is a bit odd. Every night you black out your windows and think we could die tonight. It's the best time of our lives. Why? Because we knew we were doing something together in a great cause rather than just living selfish individual lives. That's why. An enormous sense of solidarity in something that really mattered. 
how much more these guys in Nehemiah 8 do that. There was a sense of solidarity in coming again and obeying the Lord, serving someone who matters much more. Throughout chapters 8 to 10, we'll see it again next week, you get the pattern. The people hear, they understand, they obey, there is joy. They hear, they understand, they obey, there's joy. That is these three chapters. I mean, advance warning, that's all you're going to hear next week. They hear, they understand, they obey, there's joy. That's the pattern of chapters 8 to 10. So for you and me, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't suppose we should be too surprised. Jesus said it recurrently. John 15, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you, your joy may be complete. Love one another. That's how you have complete joy, says Jesus. He says to his disciples, you love one another as I have loved you. Or John 17, verse 13, I say these things while I'm in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. I say these things now. If you want the full measure of Jesus' joy, you listen to him, he says, John 17. So question, how do we know joy now? We love one another, we have the word of God central, and we listen to him. And we find that the joy of the Lord is our strength, refuge, place of stability, firmness. It's not hard, is it? Oh, it's harder to do than it is to say. And that's why we need to keep encouraging one another. Find joy in the Lord. Not in a naff, not in a sloganistic way. You've got to take time to sit with people, understand their lives. But in the end, brother, sister, we need to say to one another, find your joy in the Lord. That's the only place of stability, firmness, strength. Let's pray together. Hey, great God and Father, how wonderful, how wonderful that you should declare that you've come for our joy, that the Lord Jesus would recurrently say he wants us to have a fullness of joy, a completeness of joy, as best we're able this side of heaven, through knowing him through looking to him, through listening to him, and in doing so, serving, loving one another, doing this together. Father, even this morning, would we help one another to find joy in you, knowing that in that there's strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.